Welcome. The beginning of Parshas Matais, we read that HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded Moshe to take revenge against the Midianite nation because the Midianite nation, the Midianite nation participated together with the Moabites, the Moabim, and apparently the Ammonim also, in an attempt to corrupt Klal Yisrael. We read this at the end of Parshas Bullock, that uh, according to Chazal, with, with very good support from the from from the Psukim, uh, Bilam gave a uh, advice to the Moabim, who had tried to to harm us uh, through the prophecies and the curses of Bilam. That failed, but Bilam then gave them advice that they should uh, encourage their daughters to dress up in a provocative way and to try to entice the Jewish men to acts of immorality and acts of, of idolatry. And so they did, and they were, to a large part, uh, successful. 24,000 Jews were killed in a plague because of their participation in these uh, sinful activities. And now, Kodesh who tells Moshe Rabbeinu that he is to take revenge against the Midyanim. Why not against the Mayavim? That's a question that Rashi addresses. That's not our question for now. And Moshe Rabbeinu gathered an army of 12,000 men. And we read about the war. I'm going to focus on just three psukim here. By Yitzbu al Midyan, the, the Jewish soldiers, they gathered, they formed an army against Midyan. Kasher Tzivo Hashem es Moshe, as Hashem had commanded Moshe, by Yargu Kol Zachar. And they killed every male amongst the, the Midyan. Next passage. And the kings of Midian, they killed on their corpses. Rashi discusses the exact meaning of that phrase, but we're just going to take it for now. They killed the kings of Midian. And now the Torah tells us the names of the kings. As Evi, the Esrekem, the Esur, the Eschur, the Esreva. The five kings of Midian, they had some sort of a uh, oligarchic system. And also, Bilam ben Baor, Bilam, they killed by the sword. However, they, they, uh, they killed all of the, the males, but it says that they captured, they took in captivity the women of Midian and the young children. The ace called Behem Tom, the Miknehem, the Chelam, and all of their behemoths, all of their animals, and all of their mikneh, all of their cattle, and all of their property, bozazu, they took as spoils. That's the, that's the part. These, these are the psukim that we're going to focus on. Let's see Rashi. The Pasuk says that they killed Evi and Rechem and Sur and Kur and Reva, the five kings of Midian. Rashi begins with a question on the words, the five kings of Midian. Don't I see that five of them, the Torah counted? It says, Evi, Rechem, Sur, Kor, Reva. Even I, even I can, can hold count with that. That's five. So, why did the scripture find it necessary to say that there were five of them? It, we know there are five because it lists five names. 
Ela only. The answer is as follows, says Rashi. This is to teach us that they were all equal in Eitzah, in their advice and in their plot. We'll talk exactly what plot is being referred to here, but all five kings were equal, equal participants in the plot against Am Yisrael. And therefore they were all equal they all uh, participated equally in the Puranus, in the punishment of being killed. Okay, so Rashi has answered the question why the Torah emphasizes that there were five of them. In order to tell you that all five were equal in their crime and therefore were equal in their punishment. And now Rashi seems to go off to discuss a different question, to, to address a different point. Bilam. Bilam went there, he went to Midian to take reward for the 24,000 people that he was mapil, that he knocked down from amongst the Jews with his Eitzah, with his plot. Meaning, as we said before, Bilam previously <clears throat> had given the Mayavim and the Midianim and the Amainim he gave them a plan how to cause the downfall of Am Yisrael, of allowing their daughters to seduce us into various uh, inappropriate actions. And because of that, 24,000 people of Klal Yisrael died. So Bilam now went to Midian to get his reward. He was expecting a big payoff. And he went out from Midian to greet Yisrael meaning as Yisrael were now approaching Midian with their army to attack Midian. So Bilam went out together with the Midianite army, and he gave to the Klal Yisrael a bad piece of advice, a harmful piece of advice. We'll see in a moment that that's Rashi means that he's not now giving advice to the Midian, and that was in the past. But we're going to see now from Rashi that Bilam now gave some advice um, well, not to the Minyanim, he actually was giving advice now to the, to the Klal Yisrael. Amrlehem, he said to them, Im kishayisem shishim ribay, lo yecholtem lehem. If, when you were 600,000, you could not stand up to the Midianim, meaning when you were a full nation, your entire nation, when you were a full nation, you could not stand up to the temptations of the daughters of Maya Vimitya, and you lost many, many people due to their, their failure to stand up to the temptation. So, and now you are coming with just 12,000 people to fight? You Jews, you Bnei Yisrael, you couldn't protect yourself from the, yourselves from the Midyanim as a full nation couldn't protect yourself from their, from their, uh, from their, uh, from their seduction. And now you're trying to protect yourself or you're trying to destroy them with just 12,000 soldiers. It's not going to work. This is what he told the Bnei Yisrael. And what happened? The, the Klai Yisrael gave to Bilam his entire reward, and they did not break. They did not uh, cheat him out of any of his reward. In other words, they killed him. He 
thought he's going to get a great reward by participating and by dis discouraging Klai Yisrael from fighting. So he thought, not only am I going to get rewarded for the Eitzah that I gave uh, some time ago with the, with the B'nai Smoyav and the B'nai Smidyan, but I'm also now doing my part to defeat Klai Yisrael in this war. Instead, Klai Yisrael gave him his reward and they killed him. It's Bilam ben Baor, Hargu There are a number of four questions exactly that I would like to raise on this Rashi. I'm going to raise them in the order that they occur in the text of Rashi or in the text of the Psukim. We'll answer them in a different order. The first question I'd like to point out is a grammatical question, which Rashi does not address directly. We'll see whether perhaps he had it in mind. But the grammatical question is as follows. The normal, uh, the normal way that the Torah uh, tells of past events in a narrative is like this word, by Yitzbo'u, or let's take an even easier word, by Yahargu. That means they killed. Now, as, as we've discussed many times, the word Yahargu would really mean they will kill. That's really future tense. But the vav at the beginning, the va at the beginning, is what's called vav hamahapeh. It's the vav that reverses the word from future to past. So by yargu, kol zachar, means they killed every male. And that is the normal way that the Torah always tells stories. So we have here by yitzbu, the word, the word yitzbu really would mean they did form, they will form an army, but because of the vav, all right, I did that wrong. Because of the vav at the beginning, it means they did form an army. That's the first two, um, the first two verbs in this little section of text. By yitzbu, by yargu. That's nothing remarkable. That's how the Torah always tells stories. But then in Pasuk Ches, it says, Ves midyon hargu. Now hargu is what the uh, Medactikim call and of our cow. It is a simple past tense. It's not the future tense, but with above in front to turn it around. No, hargu is the regular past tense. It uses that here via smalche midian hargu, and it uses it at the end of the Pusik that Bilam ben Baor hargu. They killed Bilam ben Baor. If I'm raising the question, I would like to raise the question why does the Torah switch? I understand why the Torah begins with the Vav HaMahapeh. That's because the Torah is telling us a narrative. It's telling us a story that they, first they formed an army on Midian, and then they went, and then they killed everybody. And then it should have apparently just continued. And it should have said, by Yargu as Malchim Midian, and they killed Malchim Midian, by Yargu as Vilam ben Baor, and they killed Vilam ben Baor. But it doesn't say that. It says, Malchim Midian Horgu, and Vilam ben Baor in the simple past. That's question number one. Question number two, we begin to analyze Rashi. Rashi begins here with a question and he spells it out. He tells us exactly what the question is. This question is, Don't I see that the Torah listed five kings, Evi and Rekha Mitzur and Kur and Reva, so Lama who le So why was it necessary to say that there were five of them? Why does the Torah specific, specifically have to tell us five? 
Okay, that's a very good question. The problem is, as we know, that usually Rashi does not ask his questions explicitly. Usually Rashi only implies his questions, meaning he gives us the answer and we have to be a little bit smart. We have to figure out what the question was. Really the point is, as I've explained many times, is that Rashi expects that a question that is implicit in the Pasuk, we should notice. And therefore he doesn't have to tell us what the question is. He only has to tell us the answer. He tells us the answer by telling us how to understand the Pasuk. But here Rashi asks his question explicitly. So we need to understand why he did that. Okay, we could say more about just the question itself, but let's move on to question number three. Rashi answers his question by telling us that the word chameshes, the word five, is telling us that all five of these kings were equal. They were shavokul and They were all equal in their plot, in their advice that they gave against Klai Yisrael, and therefore they were all equal in the peronus, in the, in the uh, punishment. Now, that's a good answer, but how did Rashi see that in the words Hamashis? How is that thought expressed to us by the fact that the Torah told us the number of how many kings there were, rather than just telling us the names and letting us count up how many there were, if, if, such, if that interests us to know how many there were? How is Rashi's answer implicit in the word Hamashis? That's question number three. Question number four is why does Rashi at the end, it's really not just the end, it's a very big part of Rashi. It's this whole last part of Rashi. Why does Rashi get involved with Bilam? It seems like that Rashi was wondering what was Bilam doing in the country of Midian? Bilam was not a Midianite. Bilam was, a, was an Aramean, Min Aram Yancheni. He says in one of his prophecies, that the Bullock took me from Aram. Apparently, he was an Arami, not a Midian. So Rashi seems to be asking, seems to be implying the question, what was Bilam doing over there in Midian? And Rashi answers, he went there because he had given an Eitzah to the Midianim and also to the Mayavim uh, about how to cause Klai Yisrael to sin. And he was quite successful with that Eitzah. And therefore, he, he had gone to collect his reward. And uh, that's, where, uh, that's where the long arm of justice caught up to him, and Klai Yisrael killed him. And I saw the uh, Sifse Chachamim, probably others, I didn't see uh, all of the Mepharshim here, that probably others say that uh, that's what Rashi is dealing with here. He wanted to understand what was Bilam doing here in Midian. However, if that's what Rashi is dealing with, I think that he should have, uh, he should have dedicated to this a separate Dibur Hamaschal, a separate title. We know the rule is, and many, many Mephoshim point this out, that Rashi's Dibur Hamaschal tells us which words in the Pasuk Rashi is dealing with. They tell us which words presented to Rashi some sort of a question, and also they very often include some words that Rashi is going to use in order to answer his question. But here, if the if the Dibur is Chameshis Malchi Midyan, that does not seem to have any connection to the question of what's Bilam doing over here. Bilam is not part of the Chameshis Malchi Midyan. So, if Rashi wanted to discuss the the issue of what is Bilam doing here, it would seem that he should have 
started a new Dibur Amaskal over here called uh, Bilam or Bilam Ben Ba'or. But not to include it, not to just tack it on to, to, another, to another issue, to another topic. So those are our four questions. I'd like to begin my answer or answers by quoting a, a, a safer that I think anyone who's serious about Rashi should try to get a hold of. And it's called Mare Rachel. It is so far not printed on paper and with paper and ink, as far as I know, but it is available on the site alhatorah.org. And if you, um, if you look there, you'll find there is a parish called Mare Rachel. It is a super commentary on Rashi by our, our friend Rabbi Herzog. And here, Rabbi Herzog addresses what I called my second and third question. Our second, my second question was, that why is Rashi here asking an explicit question? That is uncharacteristic of Rashi to spell out what his question is. And uh, to introduce the answer, we'll mention a general principle that I've mentioned many times. And that is the, the, the famous klal, the famous general principle, which is expressed most clearly by the author of Maskele David. It is also ascribed to by many other commentators. And that is that when Rashi spells out a question, when Rashi writes a question explicitly, that's a simon. But that's not really his main question. The way I explain that phenomena is that questions that are implicit in the text, Rashi expected us to notice them. And therefore, he just tells us the answer without telling us explicitly what the question is. Questions that are not so uh, obvious from the text, Rashi writes them out. Maybe one could explain it in a different way. But this is the, the point that the Maskell the David makes, that when Rashi writes his question explicitly, you have to pause and say to yourself, that's not the main question. His real question is something in the text itself. The question that Rashi writes, he only wrote it because it was a way of getting to an answer. More often than not, it's really a quotation of a question that Rashi found in the Gemara or the Midrash. And he's quoting the question and the answer as a pair, as a set, because the answer to his explicit question will also provide us with the answer to Rashi's unstated, implicit question. So our question is, what really was bothering Rashi in this puzzle? What was his real question? So the safer, the safer um, Mara Rachel explains that the word Chameshas is what was really bothering Rashi. Normally, what would be the normal way of saying the number five in Russian Kurdish in Chumash language? It would be Chamisha, not Chameshas. What's the difference between Chamisha, which is the more normal way of saying it, and Chameshas? We've discussed this before. When we say Chamisha, Chamisha just means there are five things. Um, they may not really be related. They may not have anything in common, really. They may not be a coherent set, but there happen to be five of them. That's when you say, 
when you say chameshes, you're talking about five things that go together to form a cohesive unit. But one way to look at it is, if, uh, is to talk about musical terms. If five musicians happen to uh, meet each other somewhere accidentally, this one happens to have his uh, clarinet, and this one has his saxophone, and this one has a pair of drumsticks, and uh, there happens to be a piano off in the corner. I think, I, I think that's five. We can put in one fellow happens to be carrying his uh, trumpet with him. So they say, you know what? Why don't we, we're all musicians. Why don't we have a little jam session? Why don't we play a little music? Okay, so they, they sit down, they pick a song that everyone is uh, likely to know, and they say, let's just start playing. That is five musicians, but it's not a quintet. A quintet means it is five musicians who purposely got together because of perhaps the instruments that they play go well together, or perhaps their talents in some way mesh together in a special way. And the music that they play is going to be special music that they have composed or arranged to make the most of their instruments and of their talents, that is a quintet. When a, when a classical composer writes a string quartet or a string quintet, he has chosen very specifically which instruments they should be and exactly the part that each instrument should play. Some of the instruments take more of a, a take more of the melody and some of them uh, to concentrate more on the harmony and the rhythm. And it's all a cohesive unit. It's not just five musicians, it's a quintet. That's the difference between Hamisha. It's just a sort of a coincidental number. Hamishas means you have five as a cohesive unit, as a quintet. That was Rashi's question. Why does it use the word Hamishas over here? And Rashi answers by quoting what he saw in the Midrash Sifri. The Midrash Sifri, which is the one of the primary Midrashim on Sefer Bamidbar, asks a different question. The Midrash Sifri asks that if the Torah already told us the names of these kings, Evi, Rechem, Sur, Chor, Reva, why did it then tell us how many they were? That's what Rashi quotes. If I already know that the, the Torah listed for us five kings, so why did it have to say the number five? Not why did it have to use the special form of Hamashas? Why did it have to say the number five? What is the Midrash answer? It's coming to tell us, It tells us that there were five to tell us that they were all together. They all had the same etza, they all had the same plan, and therefore they were all punished equally. Now this question and answer that Rashi quotes answers also, or helps to answer, Rashi's question. Rashi had a different question. Rashi's question was, why does it use the word chameshes rather than the word chamesha? Well, now that we know this medrash and its question and its answer, we can now explain why the Pasuk uses the special form of the number five, Hamatius, because these were not just five kings who just happened to be in the same place at the same time. And therefore, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately for us, 
they were all killed at the same time. No. These were five kings who were Shavu Kulam, the eights of Arushvu Kulam, the Puranas. These were five kings who were working together. They all had the same plan. Therefore, they were, they were in fact, a Chameshas. They were a quintet of kings. They were a, um, not a triumvirate, but how would you say a triumvirate? Uh, a pentumvirate, a, a five-headed king. They were a group of five that acted together. So by quoting the Midrash and its, its question and its answer, Rashi comes to an answer to his question. And of course, now we understand what's going on in Rashi, and we understand how the word Chameshis teaches us that they all participated together in this Eitzah. That's exactly what the word Chameshis is telling us. I forgot one point. I can show you a very nice example where you see this difference between um, a regular number and a number with a tub at the end. Arshas Bo, regarding the Makas Choshech, the plague of darkness. So the Pasuk says, Vayet Moshe es Moshe lifted up his hand to the heavens. Vayehi Choshech HaFelo, the whole Eretz Mitzrayim. And there was a great darkness in all the land of Mitzrayim. Shloishes Yamin. So we have here this form, Shloishes. Let's just take a quick look at the next Pasuk before we explain. Okay. A person could not see his brother and people could not even stand up. It was so dark, you couldn't even have the coordination to stand up. For three days, again, in this special form with the tub at the end, etc. Rashi there says, that there was a cheshech shaloifel, there was a certain kind of cheshech, which was called cheshech afeilo. That was shleishis yamin. That was for three days. Vaod shleishis yamin, and there were an additional shleishis yamin. Acherim, three other days, cheshech muchbol alzeh, a darkness that was even double of that. So, in other words, Rashi is understanding there were three days of one kind of darkness, and then there were an additional three days of a different kind of darkness. We can understand why the Torah used this special form of shloshes, of three, of shlesha, but with the tav at the end, because it is as a set of days that is a coherent unit. These three days were like this, they had X quality of darkness, and these other three days had a different quality of darkness, a different sort of darkness, and even, even more extreme and intense darkness. So we see that the Tav ending indicates a set of three or five or whatever the number might be. Okay. We've answered two of our questions. Let me just take a quick look what all the questions were. We have answered question B and C. Why does Rashi ask an explicit question? And how does the word, words Chameshis Malchim Midyan lead Rashi to his answer? Okay, let's go to question number four. Question number four is about Rashi discussing Bilam and apparently addressing a completely different question. The question being, what is Bilam doing over there in Midyan? And Rashi is 
giving us a very interesting explanation of why Bilam was there. But the question was that he should have included it in, in, a, in a new, he should have put it in a new Dibor Hamaso. He should have put it under a new title. He should have had a new title saying Bilam ben Ba'or. Then he should have said, okay, how did Bilam get there? Okay, he went there to receive his reward for, uh, for the plan of having the Benais Mayav and the Benais Minyan entice the Jewish men to sin. But I think the answer is that really it's all one, it's all one package here. It's really all going back to the Hamashis Malte Midian. Rashi answers his question about the Hamashis Malte Midian. The question, why does it use this special form Hamashis? Rashi answers, because they were a quintet, they were a coherent unit, because Shavu Kulam Be'etzah, because these five kings were all the same in the Eitzah. Now here, Rashi is going to tell us what the Eitzah is. And it's interesting, and I'm still not 100% clear about this, but it seems like Rashi is going to tell us that the Eitzah that is being referred to here is not or not only the Eitzah of Bilam, who told them to uh, allow their daughters to seduce us. That's not what we're talking about over here, at least not primarily. But there's a different Eitzah, which is taking place right now, taking place in these psukim here. Let's see what, let's see what Rashi says again. Rashi says, Bilam went over there. He went there to get rewarded for the 24,000 Jews that he caused, whose deaths he caused, in his, his plot of the, of the daughters enticing us. Now, he now went out from Midian towards the Jews who were approaching Midian. And he now gave to the Klal Yisrael a bad Eitzah, a new thing. Amr he said to them, If when you were 600,000 men, you could not overcome these Midyanim and these Mayavim, they managed to kill off 24,000 of you, even though you had a whole nation standing against them. So, now you are coming with just 12,000 men, a relatively small army, and you're coming to fight against them? So he was trying to discourage the Bnei Yisrael from undertaking their war of revenge against the Midian. This is called, but this Rashi calls this an Eitzirah. I think what Rashi is doing, I think why Rashi is getting involved in this is because it, he said before, that the five Malte Midian, this quintet of the, of, of, of the kings of Midian, they were equal in the Eitzah. And I think what he means, what he means to tell us is he wants to explain to us what, which Eitzah? The Eitzah of the, nice, of, of the daughters going out was not really their idea. And, I mean, yes, they allowed their people to engage in it, to participate in it, but perhaps that's not really called their idea. And in fact, if you look at the Psukim over there, the Midyanim are not even mentioned. We have to assume, based on the Psukim, that 
they were involved over there. But in the psukim over there, it doesn't even mention that. It becomes obvious from the psukim here that they were involved, but really it doesn't say whether they were part of it. So which Eitzah did they participate in? They're called Hamashas because they all were part of the same Eitzah. Rashi wants to tell us which Eitzah. So he now quotes another piece of Midrash from the Sifri, that Bilam now, together with the Malchei Midian, had an Eitzah. His Eitzah was, let's say to the Klal Yisrael, it's hopeless, you guys. You're never going to win this war with just 12,000 soldiers. Even when you were 600,000, you were roughed up by the Midian. And now you're going to fight them with just 12,000? Give up. I think what Rashi wants to say is that this is the Eitzah that the five kings of Midian participated in. And they participated in it not just as five disparate individuals. This one participated 20% and this one participated 35%. No. They were Hamashish Malchai Midian. They were all equal participants as a coherent group, and therefore they were called Hamashish. So that all of the Rashi, from the beginning all the way to the end, is all about Hamashish Malchai Midian. It's all coming to explain why they are called the quintet of Malchai Midian. And I think if we take all of this, perhaps we can go back to our very first question. Our very first question was, why does the Torah tell us, why does the Torah switch verb forms? It begins with the standard verb form for a narrative. By Yitzpahu, and they formed an army. By Yahargu, and they killed. That is the future tense with the vav in front of it, which turns it into a past tense. The classic way for the Torah to tell us a story of something that happened. But then... It switches to Esmalche Midyan Hargu, simple past tense, and also the Esbilim Ben Ba'or Hargu. Why does the Torah do that? There are a number of reasons, a number of um, number of reasons why the Torah sometimes uses this form, this simple past form. I'm not going to give a, an entire Shir Chloe, an entire general lecture here about why. But one of the reasons, one of the, the situations in which the Torah will, will use this form is when it wants to tell us that two events happened at the same time. Let's take a look at the very next Pusik in the Torah. Perek Laman Aleph Pusik Tess. By Yishbu B'nei Yisrael es Neshem Midyon V'yes Tapom V'yes Kol V'hem Tom V'yes the Bnei Yisrael captured the, the women of Midian and the little children and all of their behemoths and all of their cattle. Okay, all of that was under Vayishbu, this regular uh, classic narrative past tense, Vayishbu. However, the Pasuk ends with V'yaskol Chelom all of their property, meaning like all of the smaller things, all of their, what we call metaltalin, all of their movable objects and perhaps less valuable objects, they took as spoils. They, uh, not sure of one English word that means, that has that meaning, but they took as spoils. They took as biza. This verb, is in the simple past tense, not in the classic 
narrative past tense. Why is that? I think the reason is because the, the Torah wants to tell us that it happened at the same time. At the same time that they were capturing the women and the children, they were also taking as spoils all the animals and all of the cattle and all of the other small items of property. The Torah doesn't want us to think that by Yishbu, they took the women as captives. And then by Yavuzu, and then the next thing they did is they took the spoils. No, that uh, doesn't make so much sense. I mean, what if, uh, what if you're a soldier and you uh, ran into a house and there were no women? You're going to go run into someone else, some other house to find a woman? You're going to take whatever is there. So the two things were happening simultaneously. By Yishbu, okay, that's, um, that's part of the consecutive narrative. By Yargu, okay. And what's the next thing they did? By Yishbu, they took captive, they took the women captive. But then the next thing is not something that they did afterwards in a consecutive sequence. The next thing that's written in the Torah, Bazazu, is something they were doing at the same time. This is one of the uses of this Lashon of our Kal, of this simple past tense. I think that's the Pshat and Pasuk test. And I think we can say that this is also the Pshat in Pasuk Ches. It says in Pasuk Zion, by Yitzbu they formed an army on Midian, by Yargu, and they killed all the males. Okay, those are two consecutive acts. They formed the army, and then next step, they killed. But now, killing the Malche Midian and killing Bil and Ben Ba'or, the Torah wants to emphasize that those two things happened at the same time. They didn't first go to kill the Malche Midian, and then when they saw that they were all dead, they then went and looked for Bilam. No, they had different uh, parties, different uh, different groups of soldiers. One unit went, they got their orders. Okay, you go now and you get the five kings of Midian and kill them. And then there was a different unit of soldiers. Your job is go get Bilam and kill him. It was happening simultaneously. I think that's why the Torah uses this verb form. And I think this is a support for what Rashi is saying, that the killing of Malche Midian and the killing of Bilam was really all about the same thing. They were all involved in one Eitzah. Just as the Malche Midian are called Hamashis Malche, Malche Midian, they were a quintet of kings, and, and they were all had the same motivation and the same participation in what they were doing right here and now. Similarly, Bilam was killed at the same time. It was not a second step to kill Bilam. It's not that they killed the five kings of Midian because they were doing one thing. And then when they were finished with that, they went and they killed Bilam because he was doing something else. No, they went as two simultaneous, simultaneous military operations, one to kill the five kings of Midian and two simultaneously to kill Bilam. And I think this supports Rashi's whole idea here that Bilam and the five kings, it's all one thing. And everything Rashi says goes under one heading, Hamashis. I think if we take all of this together, we can answer a question that, that, that many people raise about this whole story of the war against Midian. 
but to our modern minds, maybe our modern muddled and addled minds, but to our modern minds, this war against Midian seems very cruel and it seems genocidal. Here we killed off an entire, every single male of that nation. We didn't walk around, didn't go around asking which people uh, agreed uh, with the crimes that were done by Midian against us and which people perhaps didn't participate or didn't agree. There was no trial. We simply went in and we killed every single male. And really, the fact that we didn't kill all the females was a mistake. Later on, Moshe Rabbeinu rebuked them. And he said, why'd you, leave the, why'd you leave the women? Why'd you leave them alive? They were the ones who really caused all the trouble. But really, we were supposed to kill all the women also. The only ones that were allowed to live were the very young girls. It seems very cruel. It seems to be genocidal. Of course, the, the main answer to this question is, because we did it because the Kaddish Baruch Hu told us to. Now, it's true that sometimes you have people who get it into their heads that God wants them to kill so-and-so, perhaps even that God wants them to kill off an entire nation. Okay, they're, they're, they're hallucinating. They're delusional. They're delusional. But we really had a nevuah coming through Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest prophet that ever lived, that we are supposed to do this. So, I mean, that really is enough of an answer. But I think there's a little bit of a, another answer. And that is that Rashi said, Rashi seems to be indicating, and, I, and if someone can tell me that I'm wrong, I'm more than willing to hear it. But Rashi seems to be saying that not only was there an Eitzah, not only was there a plot that it's written at the end of Parshish Bullock, that they wanted to seduce us and to cause us to, to sin in various ways, but there was a plot taking place now, as Rashi says, that Bilam was messy on Eitzah He gave some bad advice to Yisrael, and he tried to discourage us from fighting against the Midianic, tried to tell us, it's, you're never going to win, you're only 12,000 people. And it seems from Rashi that the five kings also were unified and united and part of that plot. So it could be, when we talk about this war of Midian, it's not that in the past they harmed us in some way. Probably not every single one of them. But okay, as a nation, they harmed us. And now we are going to take revenge. It's not only that. They were presently attacking us as a unified group, all five of their kings, equally united behind this plot to, to stand up against us. So it could be that also helps to explain why we were so drastic, so draconic against the Midianim, because they were a present danger. It's not just that they once hurt us, so we're going we're gonna to obliterate them. But also, they were coming right now with a plan to destroy us, and therefore, that gives us the right to destroy them absolutely. I uh, leave with that point, and I'm more than willing to hear somebody tell me that I'm wrong.